Good morning. Mr. Marv reminded me this morning that it's, we've been here about a year now, and it's just coming up on that anniversary, and it would seem fit that I didn't know if the returning preaching teaching elder was coming for a 12-month evaluation, <laughs> especially since the sermon today is on the vision moving forward for Cornerstone Church, so talk about being nervous in preaching. Anyway, uh, that's what the sermon is today. We, as you see, the title of the sermon and our identity is Cornerstone Church, delighting in God through Christ and our community. I said I was going to try to make light of it and just let you know that there, it would be a little bit of a longer sermon today. I won't set the record like Ray did a few weeks ago. But if you have to go anywhere, if you're visiting or anything like that, feel free. Please don't leave because of the content. Just leave because of the length. So um, anyway, just uh, I don't have any funny jokes for that. Just it will be just a bit longer than normal because it is important what I'll be preaching on today. Ultimately, we don't believe the vision is just the vision of the elders of Cornerstone Church. We believe the vision that we will present today is the vision inspired by the Spirit, the vision of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father who chose to adopt us. Okay. First Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. Verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. A heavenly Father, and God, I intercede to ask on behalf of, of Cornerstone, this is one local church here in Leavenworth, Washington, God, are we imitators of the churches in Judea who are in Christ Jesus? Is our worship acceptable? Is our, is our preaching and our teaching faithful? Do our lives match to the preaching and teaching of the word of God? Are we faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Do we seek you in prayer? Do we give of our first fruits an offering. God, I, I don't know where each individual is. I know where I am, and I know I fail to be faithful to all the things that are acceptable before you. And God, I pray today that this wouldn't be some sort of we need to do better sermon, but ultimately we would see that we're not even acceptable by trying to imitate the churches of Judea, but we are acceptable because you accept the death payment that Jesus gave for us on the cross. You accept his work. You accept his righteousness on our behalf. And God, we pray that we understand that. And because we understand that, we would center ourselves on him and the gospel, and we would learn how to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ as a Christ-centered community. God, help us today with that. We ask this to the glory of of you. Amen. Over the past months, the elders and I have been meeting to discuss 
who we are as Cornerstone Church, what our vision is for Cornerstone moving forward, and how do we reach that goal? And the vision I present to you today, the sermon I'm preaching, it's nothing new under the sun. In fact, this vision isn't even new to Cornerstone. It's not even new to you guys. But the elders and I felt very strongly that every person at Cornerstone or who desires to come to Cornerstone should be aware of what it means to be part of the Cornerstone community. Especially part of the Cornerstone community moving forward as we believe the Lord is leading us. So therefore, we've spent months just working out the details. The first thing we did was spend what felt like the greater part of eternity coming up with one sentence that defined us, just one. And the result of that was Cornerstone Church delighting in God through Christ-centered community. You'll be seeing this wheel a lot in the future. Once we had that sentence, once we had that foundation, the next step was to figure out what was needed to be a Christ-centered community who delights in God. As I said, this vision, or what we came up with, it's not new. And I originally this morning was going to say we didn't reinvent the wheel, but then Jordan reminded me, uh, us, at the last elders meeting this previous week, that we did reinvent the wheel. That's literally what we did. We literally reinvented a wheel. So there you are. As you see in the diagram, the, well, hopefully you can see in the diagram, the foundations of being a Christ-centered community, well, they were a bit, to figure, they were a bit easier to figure out. Mainly because we just plagiarized the Bible. And by that I mean, if the Bible said a local church should be devoted to Scripture, we made that a fundamental point of our identity. If the Bible said prayer was a vital function to the church, then we added that to our identity as well. And the five points that we came up with, as you see on the screen which the Bible says is necessary to be a Christ-centered community where scripture, prayer, fellowship, worship, and discipleship. Following those five points, and inside of those five points, if you can see, that's going to be the application to being a Christ-centered community and how we will live out those main five points. And that's going to be our application today. So what's inside of that wheel is what I'll be preaching on. I don't know if you'll get this reference, hopefully. I never thought I'd be preaching on five points and John Calvin would not be mentioned. But that'll be for a different sermon. Wait till we get to Romans. Uh, yes. Oh, and as a housekeeping uh, Jacob will preach next week, and then we are going back into expository preaching. We'll be beginning in Genesis 1-1. We will begin preaching through the book of Genesis. Okay. Now, before we get into the application of that, I want to make two observations about our identity statement 
that Cornerstone Church, delighting in God through a Christ-centered community, first, Cornerstone Church is a community. The definition of community, according to Google, number one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. We have a particular characteristic in common. Number two, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, or goals. We share a common goal. We share a common interest. So that means being part of the Cornerstone community means that, that everyone here that lives here, that comes to Cornerstone, you're included. It's everyone is included. Everyone should be involved. Everyone should participate with one another. We're a community. This vision that we've, we're presenting to you this morning and moving forward, it's a vision for all of us. It's a vision not just for the elders, it's a vision for you. And the five points I'm going to flesh out this morning, aren't, they're not even exclusive to Cornerstone Church. Because if, if we take the Bible at face value, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what church you serve, you should be doing these things anyway. find them laid out like this, though, very helpful. Just seeing it on paper, something tangible. So much so that if someone was to place their faith in Christ today for the first time and wondered what's next, what's expected of me, these five points are a great starting point. That's why we say this vision isn't new, because this is expected of anyone who professes to follow Christ. So we're a community, we're a community that the Bible puts this set of expectations on. And we're all supposed to be involved. Secondly, we're not only a community, we're a Christ-centered community. Which in short means here at Cornerstone we center ourselves around Christ. And you'll see, if you turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21, or rather, you can just, well, you can look at the reference in the very middle, 2 Corinthians 5.21... In the center, do you know it? It's a good verse to have memorized. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel in a sentence. We must keep the gospel and Jesus central to the core teaching of this community. We cannot lose that. Because without the faith in death, without faith in the death and resurrection of Christ, there is no hope for any one of us today. Without the gospel, without the person of Christ, we don't have a common faith. We don't have the same interest. It's one of the things that separates us from those who are out there. It's the main thing. So as Paul admonished the Galatians in his letter to them, we too must take heed when Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Forgetting, perverting the gospel is something that we can never do. So 1 Corinthians 2, 1, this is why Paul says to them, For I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's got to be the center. Therefore, our application to being a community of Christians that never forgets, never distorts, never perverts the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our application for that. Number two, our next point, devote ourselves. In order to be a community who is faithful to center themselves on Christ, we must devote ourselves to scripture, prayer, fellowship, worship, and discipleship. These five points were taken from the New Testament, which are all vital to the health and the lifeline of any church. The first is Acts 2. 42 through 47, I'm just going to summarize these two passages. It begins with saying, and they devoted themselves. And the, the church, when the church was born in Acts, when the Spirit came and gave a life and, 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 and changed the heart of sinners who hated God to love God, what happened? What were they transformed into do? They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They had all things in common. They attended temple together. And they broke bread in their homes. They hung out together. And they worshiped God by praising him together. They were a community. The second is the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. I paraphrased. So therefore, we want to be a community devoted to these things that Christ commanded, things such as Scripture, our application to that. How do we devote ourselves to that, which I'm going to elaborate on. We devote ourselves to Scripture through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We devote ourselves to Scripture individually in our personal lives and family devotions. We devote ourselves individually to memorizing scripture and corporately. It should be no surprise that preaching and teaching is like one of my longest points. So I had to take a drink of water before I started. Preaching and teaching. I'm not going to read every reference, sorry, that I had up there just for time's sake. Otherwise, we will be Ray's record. We want to be a community committed to learning and living out the Bible. The Bible should inform us in order to transform us. It is one of the primary distinctions, again, between those outside these walls and us inside these walls. Mainly that Christians are to be people of the book. So when we gather together on the Lord's Day, yes, the Bible, the Bible, 
the Bible should inform what we teach, what we preach, everything we do, our music, our prayers, especially our preaching. And we cannot escape from the objective Paul gave to Timothy in his second letter that says, listen, preach, but preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. That's the objective. Yes, we're to preach, but we're to preach the word. There's more to the heart of our preaching or our heart for preaching than just that the Bible simply says we're supposed to comply with Paul's orders. Why do we preach the word besides it says to? Because the Bible, Scripture, the word is what God has chosen to be the message that brings the dead to life. It is the only message that can transform a rebellious heart to live righteously by faith. The Bible also tells us that God's word is able to train us, rebuke us, and equip us for every good work so that the man of God would be complete and the woman. We've got to understand that because we are not here to entertain you. That is not our job. It's not what the pulpit is for. The, the purpose of preaching is to proclaim the word of the Lord so that you would respond to it by faith. Therefore, the application every Sunday is to do whatever the Bible says. That's, well, it's easy to understand the application, maybe harder to do. Now, for the record, I know the Bible may not seem relevant to a first-time guest who shows up curious to see what this Christian thing is all about. Many of the things we speak about on a Sunday morning is going to seem foreign to them. And the message may not seem relevant to them at all. You may think, that's the greatest message I ever heard. And they'll be leaving like, well, I'm never going back there. That was foolishness. That shouldn't come as any surprise. Because Paul wrote to Corinth and said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It may seem like folly to them, but I can assure you there is nothing, nothing more relevant in that person's life than hearing, for their sake, he who knew no sin became sin so that they may become the righteousness of God. There's nothing more significant in that person's life than hearing that message, especially if they've never heard it. This is why the pulpit, our pulpit, centered on Christ, and, 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 and it must be filled with men who proclaim that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. Of course the Bible sounds foreign to them. Their relationship with God is broken. They don't have one yet. They're lost. They're in darkness. 
They don't know the way. They don't know truth. The light of Christ has not yet shown into their hearts. And that's going to remain the same until they call upon the one who died and rose again. And until they do, they may be curious enough to show up. But the things of the Lord will not become a genuine desire of their heart until they are born again. How is someone born again? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the message of Christ. And so we will be a community devoted to proclaiming the message of Christ and the rest of the Bible in its entirety. Like I said, that's not a new vision. We're just doing what the Bible said to do. Preach the word. Individual and family devotions. The application of individual devotion is easy. Read your Bibles. That's it. It's a primary way to have fellowship with God, to have a relationship, to hear from God. Get alone with God each day. Open your Bibles. Allow him to speak into your life through the scriptures. And when he does, when you read it, it's like, oh man, that's speaking to my personal life right now. When you read that and say, oh, that's my situation, then you respond to it in obedience by faith. That's what being a Christian means. We respond to God in trust by obeying what it says. The application for family devotion is to fulfill your God-given responsibility as a parent. Allow me to elaborate. One of the greatest mistakes, at least of the modern family, is believing that the church is the primary teachers of your children. We aren't. We are not. You are. And not just teach, I'm not just talking about the secular education, I'm talking about the primary teachers of the Bible is you to your children. The church is here to come alongside and help with that. I cannot place enough emphasis or urgency on that role. And I can assure you, a child who only hears the word of God taught one hour a week will become malnourished in need of a new diet. They will not be equipped to face the world, which will attempt to entice them with everything it can throw at them. And they surely will not be prepared to face the flaming arrows of our enemy. So the application is Ephesians 6.4, parents. Raise your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Don't delay. Memorization. One of the most common things you hear when traveling these days, at least in a a car, uh, when someone's using a GPS is, how in the world did we get around before we had a GPS? I've said that a hundred times myself. I even, maybe it's a confession, I'm not sure. I even use GPS sometimes just to walk, just so I can find where I'm trying to go. Here downtown Leavenworth. Now, some of us aren't old enough to remember how we got around before GPS. 
But some of us know. Some of us are old enough to remember. I don't think I gotta be that old, but you gotta have some years. We use maps, right? <laughs> we receive directions. And we memorized the way so we wouldn't get lost. Loved ones, that, that is what we believe God is calling us to do here at Cornerstone with Scripture. We learn His way. We memorize it. Because otherwise, if we find ourselves in an unfamiliar territory, we may not be able to recall how to get back on the right path. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Saturate yourself with the word of God. And without just sounding too militant, just, just so you know, the word says, I delight in your law. I delight in your word. Love one, there is an abundance of joy to be found in the scriptures. Okay, moving on. Uh, prayer. Devote ourselves to prayer. Individually in a family. We'll pray as an individuals. We will pray as a family. With our families. Immediate. We will pray as a church. We will pray for the local church. We will pray for the universal church. We will pray for our neighbors, and we will pray for the world. One thing... I'm speaking of joy or the lack of. One thing I have learned as a Christian through my fellowship with God is that whenever my prayer life decreases, so does my joy in God. I'm quite certain those two are related. It's partially due to the fact that praying is, a, is a, an act that, that draws us near to the Lord. It's, a, it's an open line of fellowship with God or to God. So therefore, the more we neglect prayer, the further we get from the sweet sense of his nearness. I believe that is why Adrian Rogers said, the most miserable man on earth is not a lost man, but a saved man who is out of fellowship with God. If you've been there, if you've lost that sweetness, you know what he's referring to. It's King David's greatest fear, isn't it? Now look at his request. Listen to his prayer, Psalm 27, 4. You know it. One thing I ask, Lord, that I may dwell in your house all the days of my life. Psalm 51, 11, Don't remove me from your presence, Lord. Don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. His greatest fear is that the Lord would forsake him. Don't remove your presence. Let me dwell with you. Don't. What is he saying? Don't leave me, God. Don't leave me on my own. It's a dreadful experience to sense that the Lord is far away. Or to feel like you've been forsaken by him. We experience that. I'm not, I'm not referring to feeling abandoned by God when things didn't go your way. I'm just referring to feeling forsaken because you just can't sense his presence anymore. 
doesn't feel near. Does he feel near, loved ones? It's a personal question. You enjoying the sweet fellowship with him? If not, may I suggest the application to restore that joy is to, is to when you go home today, find a quiet place. Go to it alone and cry out to the Lord as David did. Bible says the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Cry out to him. That's prayer. As far as application with your household, pray with your family. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your children. Teach your children how to pray and teach them why we pray. The church, we will pray for the church, local and universal. We want to be a community who is committed to praying for each other. And who commits to praying with one another. Mainly because we believe that God is faithful to complete the plans he has determined for all of us. For you. I believe God has a plan for every single one of you. And I believe a means to that plan coming forth is by me asking. By me pleading. So at the heart of our prayers corporately and individually, we offer them as Christ did. Not our will, but yours be done. As a side note, the blessing I pray for your life may not be the one you're looking for. But if it's the will of God, no matter even if it's affliction, it is a blessing. It is for good according to his purposes. But don't pray that for me. No, just kidding. Our application is a church, praying for the church. To live live this out as a community, as Cornerstone Church, is to pray for each member in our congregation. It's simple. Sounds simple. The simplest way I, I, I could even think how to do it is just by grabbing a members list. Praying over a few names each day of the week. Within a week, you'll be able to pray for every single person in this church, in this congregation. Which means everyone in this congregation, if we were all to do that, everyone in this congregation would be, would be getting prayed for 52 weeks a year by everyone in Cornerstone. And while we aren't the biggest church, if everyone here did that, our church will be praying for you every day of the entire year. The ratio works out. As a church, we will continue to pray as a congregation, and we are looking to add more corporate prayer to our services where we pray over specific matters on a regular basis. We will pray for other congregations, and we will pray for the universal church as a whole. And there's one more specific prayer that Christ said we should pray for. He said pray for the workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Here's how I'm going to apply that. As we move toward local outreach in our community, if you're not there helping, I'm going to pray that you would be, and the Lord would bring you. And I hope you would do the same for me. The point of it, there's people out there searching 
don't believe they don't want to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a time you didn't either. We need laborers. Neighbors in the world. We're going to pray for those in the communities that we live in, especially for those outside the church who live in Leavenworth, Kashmir, and Wenatchee. We're also going to pray for our partners in the gospel across the globe in Zimbabwe, especially in Zimbabwe. Number three, devote ourselves to fellowship. We will do that in love and unity and service. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone knows that you are my disciples, if you love one another. There's a uniqueness to this passage that, that I love to point out. Was pointed out to me. That is that, that Jesus is referring, this love that Jesus is referring to of, of loving one another, he's referring to the church, loving the specific people in the church. It's an inward focus toward each other. You are the chosen instruments God picked to love me, and you are the ones that the Lord chose for me to love. It's just an interesting side note. Churches bring enough guilt and shame on themselves from things they do. We all know that. That's, that's true. But there seems to be an utter hate for the local church. And Jesus says, but if you're my disciple, you'll love the church. That's my bride. I died for her. Love her as I have loved you. Do we feel like that's the heart of Christianity in America right now? Not on social media, at least. I, I will move on. I don't know if this next comment is application as much as it just, it's, it's just an observation. But the command to love one another, is, it's personal. It's not something you can do from afar. Because what Jesus is saying about loving one another, it's not just to be applied generally. It, it, it is meant to be lived out toward the particular people in your church. And in order to do that, you're going to have to be involved consistently with your community on a regular basis. In other words, let me summarize that. The local church is not a long-distance relationship. Unity. Not only are we better together, we are better when we are united together. Unity within our community at Cornerstone is something we strive for, and it will be something we will continue to strive for. We have a commonality in Christ that we share, as well as commonality that we share at Cornerstone in these things that I'm preaching on today, they are vital to the health of this church. We must remain united in the main things. And nothing destroys a church quicker than unresolved division. We won't always agree. 
But the Bible gives us application. It says, look, if you can't agree on everything, we can at least do what the women were counseled to do in Philippians 4. Remember Philippians 4? The women had a dispute. What did Paul say? Well, they can't find mutual ground. Then tell them this. Tell them to at least agree in the Lord. And so we will unite as a community who walks with Christ together, who grows in Christ together, and who forgives one another because Christ forgave us. And we will do that together. Service. Romans 12, 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, here's the application, let us use them. Application, use your God-given gifts to serve Cornerstone. We've said it in the last sermon series, maybe you don't know what they are, it's okay. There's plenty of ways you can just jump in and begin serving here. And through that process, you may just find out exactly what the Lord has gifted you for. And hopefully the church will come alongside and say, hey, I affirm these gifts. You're good at that. The personal question, let's make it personal. Are you involved at Cornerstone? Are you serving here? Do you have a role or a part to play, no matter even if it's small or minute or feels that way? As the Bible says, you should. Which means the application is find a way to serve. Ask, what can I do to serve? And then do it. Worship. Point four. <clears throat> Devote ourselves to worship. Individual. Family. Corporate. Individual worship. Family worship. Corporate worship. Yeah. When John Piper was asked to define worship, this was his definition. He said, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, and being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in acts of praise from the lips and acts of love and serving others for the sake of Christ. That's a long definition, but it's a good one. Loved ones, we were created to worship. You cannot get away from that. You cannot escape that reality. That is built. Worshipers is, worshiping is built into every one of our DNA. We were hardwired to worship. But due to sin and our sinful nature, we set our heart on things that are unworthy of our praise. Therefore, we need realigned. We need to set our heart and mind on that which is of true value. And hopefully it doesn't come as a surprise the only one with true value who is actually worthy of our worship is God. That's it. It's the creator-creation distinction. There's none like him. There's nothing like him. And we've got to read our Bibles to find out who he is. Because we can't worship a God that we create in our own image. 
only objective truth regarding him and his nature and his persons can be expressed into worship that he accepts. The second part of our application is how we express that praise. One way he accepts our worship is expressed through song. I have no clue why that is. I have no clue why the Lord loves to hear us sing. Some of us have better voices than others, so maybe that's why. But, I mean, he enjoys it. The Bible says he enjoys it. He delights in your voice. He delights in you singing. Did you know that? You bring joy to God when you sing to him. So the application, we should be a people that sings his worth back to him. So for our family, the same goes for our families. Our families should be households that sing the glories of Calvary together. Fill your home with gospel and Christ-centered songs. Singing is a primary way that you can even teach them who he is and what he has done. And when we prioritize singing in our household in front of our children, we teach them. They catch from us that we treasure Christ most. Devote your home to family worship. Carve out time each week and talk about God. Pray to God and sing to God. And then there's one more thing to make sure you carve out time for. Corporate worship. Corporate worship, a.k.a. meeting together on the Lord's Day, a.k.a. go to church. We want to strive to be a community that is united in the belief that this day belongs to the Lord. The Lord's Day, meeting together corporately on the Lord's Day is the local church's banner. Application, simple, don't skip church. I'm just being quiet to let that one set in. We're commanded not to, not to make a habit of it. That's just Bible. And one of the greatest ways we can demonstrate that we are a community centered on Christ that Cornerstone Church is a community who delights in God and is centered on Christ is by showing that our Sunday mornings are only reserved for corporate worship. There's a flip side to that, right? One of the greatest ways we can demonstrate that Christ isn't the center of our lives is when we live our lives showing that everything other than going to church on Sunday is more important. Just to be charitable, I'm not talking about vacations or sicknesses or anything of that sort. The purpose and the application of this point in corporate worship is that all of us stop making excuses why we can't go to church and start making church the reason why we can't do anything else. Finally, discipleship. 
devote ourselves to discipleship, evangelism, fruitfulness, spiritual disciplines, ministries. Also known as programs. I've waited 45 minutes to say that. Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples. Evangelism, let's start there. This begins with the proclamation of the death and resurrection of Jesus and calling sinners to respond to that reality by repentance and faith. That is evangelism. We tell others about Jesus dying for sins and rising three days later. The application. Well, that's the thing. How will your neighbors hear the gospel if you don't share it with them? Who's going to share it with them? Here's some application. Just choose someone, anyone, family member, friend, neighbor, whatever it is. Pray for them. Build a relationship with them. Get to know them. I always say I've never had anyone turn down me calling them a sinner at lunchtime and telling them they needed to repent in faith to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ if I took them to lunch. If I take someone to lunch, I can call them whatever I want. Put that to the test. If you do that and, and, and they refuse and they get up and walk away, I'll pay for the lunch. How about that? Sorry, babe, we didn't talk about that one, but that's... Get to know them. Don't just hand a track out and, and, and leave. I'm not saying that's always bad. Sometimes that's all there's for, but teach them about the gospel of Jesus. With our lives, yes, but at some point, we also need to do it with our words. So the application is to preach Christ. Preach Christ crucified. Fruitfulness. As followers of Christ, we are called to take part in fruitful labor. Paul tells Colossians in chapter 110, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. This summer, we had a mini garden. This, well, I shouldn't say full, but it had fruit and it had vegetables. Some of them, the plants, bared a lot of fruit. Some did not. The unbearing plants withered up and died. The others, they're still bearing fruit. With the exception of the tomato plant that my wife destroyed because it wouldn't stop bearing fruit. Loved ones, don't be a plant that withers up and dies. Be like the tomato plant that outproduces all the other plants. You, if you got cherry to it, you know it just grows wild. I thought my jalapeno plant and tomato were making a hybrid together. It was producing so much fruit. Be like the tomato plant that the wife comes outside to destroy. It's a weird point of application, but you get the point. The point is that we should all be involved in work that produces something good. I've never noticed this until this past weekend as I was reading Titus. It's three chapters. How do you not notice this? Not only does he say good work multiple times, four times he says to devote yourselves to good works. Paraphrase. To do good works. You've been saved for good works. Do good works. Do good works. And we as a community should strive together to bear fruit individually and as the local church in a community. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, God has prepared these good works for us in advance. They're already, prefer- they're already prepared. So all we have to do, the application is great. Let's partake in them together. Spiritual disciplines. We want to be a community of people who grows individually by maturing into proper Christhood. I made that word up. There are many ways to grow in Christ-likeness, such as reading your Bible, praying, meditating on Scripture, on Scripture, fasting, etc. If you're more interested in spiritual disciplines, we can help you with that. And finally, ministries, programs. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, there we go. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what, Paul? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right here, this passage, essential core value to the vision of Cornerstone Church. Look at verse 12. Here's the, here's the essential core value. Who, who does the work? The saints. You do. You do the work. You guys do the ministry that you're equipped to do. My job is to equip. Your job is to do. And and, and we see in this passage, the work that you're supposed to be doing is work that builds up the body of Christ. It builds up the church, which means we're supposed to be a community committed to serving one another. And Paul says we do that in the unity of faith, keeping the gospel the gospel. Look at that. Growing in our knowledge of the Son of God. We got to learn about Jesus together and growing into the fullness of Christ. Now, all those five points and the exposition, if you will, of that brings us back full circle to the beginning of our identity. Cornerstone Church delighting in God and we do that by doing all of those things to the glory of God the first catechism in the Westminster reads what is the chief end of man it's outdated why do I exist what did you create me for answer you've been created to glorify God and enjoy him forever that's why you were created that's the number one reason that's the reason to glorify God and enjoy him forever it's the answer to humanity's dilemma what am I here for that's it and so are we as Cornerstone Church we exist to glorify God that is the purpose of the local church to spread his glory across our community, and the nations. The result, there's something satisfying in taking part in in God's glory because when, when we do that, when we live for God's glory, we take delight in God himself. To delight in God is to delight in who he is, to delight in his work and what he's done. We, we delight in his creation, but, but we have to remember that he's the one that created it. 
To delight in God is to delight in his word and to delight in his will. To delight in God is to delight in the Son of God and what he has accomplished on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. So I leave us with this challenge today. Maybe it's not a challenge, it's just a question. Are you awed by Christ? Do you wonder in amazement that the one born of the Virgin Mary is also the one who created all things? That in his foreknowledge and eternal plan of salvation, he even created the men who would shout crucify him? Does it not baffle you that the one who had the power to raise his life up again willingly laid it down for you? Are you just able to fathom how God could ever love a sinner such as you and in love send his son to die in your place? And I'm not just talking about the obvious sins that Christ died for. I'm talking about the secret sins that Christ came and died for. Are you awed by Christ? Or have you moved past the amazement that while we and you were undeserving of God's grace, he still chose to lavish it upon you? He helped your unbelief. Is that not amazing? May I suggest if... You are struggling with joy in Christ today. It is quite possibly because you have just simply left the cross of Christ. I'm not saying you've turned away from the faith. You're just far off from the cross and the gospel. Christian, may I plead with you. Don't forget it. Don't forget that you and I, if, if you want to be amazed, if you want to be in awe and wonder, if you want something to meditate on, Remember that you and I, we were only one breath away from being imprisoned to an eternal torment where the presence of God and the grace of God does not exist. But it was the love of God. It was the love of God who entered time and space as a human like us in order to receive our punishment, your punishment, what you deserved, and exchange that so that you would receive the reward of eternal life and Jesus' full inheritance. That reality alone should remind us as Cornerstone Church that this community should never be centered around any one of us. We are a community chosen by the Father, purchased by the blood of our Savior, given life and breath by the Spirit. And therefore, we shall remain a community centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, welcome to Cornerstone Church, delighting in God through Christ-centered community by devoting ourselves to scripture, prayer, fellowship, worship, and discipleship, all to the glory of God. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, that was long, and you're worth it. And we won't apologize for the length of anything, Lord. I just pray that because there was so much in that, that you would use it to work in the hearts of all of us, Lord. God, that, that you would, you would e even if all of it's forgot, that you would plant a desire in all of our hearts to say, I, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I just know I want that. I just know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I just know that's what a community is supposed to look like. That's what heaven on earth looks like until Christ returns. God, help us, build us into that, grow us into a community always centered on Christ, who always delights in God and who lives out our days on this earth to the glory of God until we see you face to face. Amen.